I know whenever I handed my notice into PowerScreen to say I'm leaving, you know, to do something on my own, they actually doubled my salary to stay, but that didn't matter in the slightest. I wasn't there for the money. I wanted to do something on my own. So, so from my side, there was no turning back. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. We don't build cars in this country, not since the Ford factory in Cork closed in the 1980s. But in County Monaghan, they built forklifts that are in demand all over the world. This is the Architects of Business, Joe's weekly series of interviews with leading entrepreneurs in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. I'm Ty Genreich and today we'll hear from Martin McVicker of Combilift, who turned a childhood fascination into a billion euro business. Growing up on a family farm, I love farm machinery, driving tractors, all kinds of machinery. And when something breaks down on the farm, I'd love to get stuck in to get it fixed. So I enjoyed the whole mechanic side and, and to understand how things work. When you meet Martin, you can see the sincere passion he has for what he builds. Making forklift trucks, it's like making like, it's like this little toy, it's like making Lego pieces. You know what, you know, any child would love to be at it every day of their life, so for me, it's really my work's my hobby. Well, that set Martin on a carefully crafted path into the field of machinery. Striking out on his own with CombiLift, Martin took a familiar tool and gave it extraordinary powers. Like the, the reality is there's more than 200 producers of forklift trucks worldwide. And we knew that if we make regular forklift trucks, we're not gonna succeed manufacturing in Ireland, competing with all the other big players. With the CombiLift product, we've designed a vehicle that can travel forward and back like a regular forklift truck. The wheels turning can travel left and right. Martin's biggest markets are the UK and the United States, two export destinations caught in turbulent times. So most of the CombiLift clients in the United States are Trump supporters. And because he's very much pro-businesses, businesses are willing to invest. So we've seen some massive growth in the US business this year. Today we'll hear Martin's thoughts on the importance of innovation and his commitment to his hometown. Martin, thank you very much for coming in and talking to us today. Um, so how long have you been in this business for now? Good afternoon, Tag. Now, I, for CombiLift, myself and my co-founder, uh, Robert Moffat, we established CombiLift 20 years ago. So it seems like a long time ago, but for me personally, it just seems like yesterday. Why is that now? Is it because you're kind of carried along for the ride the whole time? or? Well, if you take, you know, CombiLift, when we established the company 20 years ago, I was, my background, I used to work for Moffat Engineering, which Robert Moffat and his sister Carol Moffat founded in 1986. So forklift trucks was all I knew. And when I was getting involved with Robert to establish CombiLift, I was setting up a business in a project area that I really enjoyed. And for the, since establishing CombiLift, my work is really my hobby. So it doesn't feel like I've worked a day in my life. So it's hard to imagine this 20 years ago. And I think that's important for anyone to say they're setting up a business or any career that, that they choose a career that they're going to enjoy. And for me, making forklift trucks, it's like making like, it's like this little toy. It's like making Lego pieces. You know what? You know, any child would love to be at it every day of their life. So for me, it's really my work's my hobby. Yeah, we're really grateful you brought in an example of uh, what it is you build today. And, and I think this is kind of reflective of the passion that I'm guessing you have for forklifts. Where, where, where does that come from? Well, my background, I uh, 
when I was growing up, I grew up on a family farm in North Monaghan. My parents are still farmers. And when I was at secondary school, after doing the intercert at that time, which is now the junior cert, of course, I had no intention to go back and do leave insert. I wanted to leave school at the age of 15. But my parents coaxed me. They said, well, you know what? At least go back and do your leave insert. And I had no intention to go into university. So I and very much I followed their advice. I decided I'll go back and do the leave insert. But for me is committing to go back and doing the leave insert. I, that had, I had to mentally think about, you know what? I'm going to spend another two years of my life doing something I didn't really want to do. But I said to myself, I'm going to make the most of it. So I focused on subjects at school that I really enjoyed. And for myself, mathematics, I was good at coming up to intercerts. So I like maths. I like woodwork, using my hands, practical subjects. And that's really where my background, my background is very much engineering design. And in terms of that has probably brought through. So after leaving school at the age of 17, I took a summer job in Moffat Engineering. I started on the factory floor. I was manually programming CNC machines, building forklift trucks at that time. So from the age of 17, I've really grown up around forklift trucks. And I think the background really came from growing up on a family farm. I love farm machinery, driving tractors, all kinds of machinery. And when something broke down on the farm, I'd love to get stuck in to get it fixed. So I enjoyed the whole mechanic side and, and to understand how things work. But there's a big difference, isn't there, between, you know, being able to, to muck in and, and, and fix a piece of machinery and actually designing uh, a, a complicated piece of kit like this from, from scratch. I mean, I, and, and you learned that kind of on the job, whereas I guess other people would have gone to, to, to university to do that. Yeah, well, you know, for my side, as I said earlier, I had, I had no interest in going to university. Whatever it was about myself, I wanted to continue on the family farm at home with the real ambition was that I could be in control of my own destiny because I felt if I'm working on a family farm, I'm in control of what I do every day. I'm making my own decisions. So at that age, I didn't want to be necessarily going to university just to do some course for the sake of doing and not going for more for more education at that time. Because I was a kind of person, whatever I learned, I like to put it into action. Now, that doesn't mean I don't believe in going to university. In fact, when I, I joined Moffat Engineering at the age of 17, I worked on the factory floor. I moved into the design office and different departments. But I actually then started to study through Open University at the age of 20. So I've actually... Uh, so quite, you have done university education, it's just yeah, at home. Yeah, I didn't complete. In fact, I, I studied modules relevant to mechanical engineering and I'm, I have six and a half credits and you need eight credits for a degree. So I don't actually have a full degree, but I could go back and finish it any day that I have time or have a desire to do it. But when I was doing my mechanical engineering modules through Open University, I was cho choosing modules that I really enjoyed. I wasn't choosing something just to get a degree in mechanical engineering. I was choosing modules that I could put into action while I was at work. That's interesting, actually, when you think of it, because I remember when I was at school, there was this expectation that you'd always do a science, you'd always do a language, and one of the other things like business or geography, and I hated science. I didn't want to do any science. I mean, were you selective like that at school in terms of picking the things that you wanted to do to help you build things like this? Yeah, I definitely was. And even at a young age, even before the intercert, you know, I had to make a decision. My secondary school was St. McCartan's College in, in Monaghan. And for intercert, I had to make a decision. Do I do woodwork or do I do science? Personally, I did like science because I liked the mathematics of physics, etc. But I made the choice to do woodwork for intercert. 
But then whenever my parents encouraged me to go back and do the leave insert, I was ambitious in that I wanted to do honours physics because I liked maths. I liked, you know, the practicality of physics and the mathematics of physics. But naturally, St. McCartan's College said to me, well, we can't put you into the honours physics because you didn't do science for your intercert. And anyone that knows me today, when someone tells me something's not possible, that really is a catalyst for me to prove that it is possible. So I remember when I went to go in and start my fourth year, which would be the start of the Leave Insert program as such, I remember they put me into ordinary levels physics. But I spoke to my teacher and I said, I want to meet the honours physics teacher. So I actually met the two of them together. So I met the ordinary levels physics teacher and the honours level physics teacher. And I made a deal with them, if you want to say, I made an agreement with them that if I could be the best in the class at Christmas at physics in the ordinary level subject, they would have to move me into the, the higher level physics course. And it goes without saying, I made sure I was the best at physics to get into the higher level. And I went on, I had to get an A in honours physics in, in the leave insert. Is that the first example of kind of wheeler dealing that you uh, can remember? That kind of... You know, Standard, yeah. well, it, it suggests a bit of uh, entrepreneurial flair as well as as somebody who's interested in engineering. Yeah, it's probably you know from an education was the first time, but at home because I was growing up on a family farm, I enjoyed the dacring and deal of cattle. You know, bringing cattle to the mart, even making deals outside the mart gates. You know, buying and selling. So I was always a kind of person. I like to make a deal, but it it for me is a deal needs to be a win win for both sides. And what I felt for that deal of deciding to do honours physics, it was a win for me, but it was a win for the school as well. So in one sense, I'm not a person that just wants it to be a win from my side, because the reality is for anything to be sustainable needs to be a win from both sides. But I am a kind of person, I like making deals, but I like making them happen that both parties feel it was a good deal all around. So One of the incredible uh, parts of your story that I really didn't appreciate before I you know, read up a bit about you before we met... You know, we aren't terribly well known in this country for kind of exporting big bits of engineering kit, as it were. We used to build cars back in the 80s for Ford, and that was really just assembly. And and the story of, of not just one, but two big um, forklift right. producers in Monaghan and, and you guys exporting uh, all over the world is, is really quite incredible. Yeah. And, and you know what? When you grow up on it, it doesn't seem that incredible to us because it just seems like normal to us. But I think one of, you know, I mean... We're not the only example across Ireland as a country. There is a lot of manufacturing that takes place in the rural counties around Ireland. You know, and that can be from other engineering companies. It can be McHale Engineering in Galway, Dairy Master in Kerry, Denison Trailers. You know, multiple, there's multiple engineering companies spread around all over Ireland, not just Combilift. But what I find when you're in, the, when you grow up on a family farm and you're interested in machinery, moving into manufacturing equipment is a very easy stepping stone. And for me personally, it was my experience within Moffat Engineering that encouraged me to move into the forklift business. And not only the experience within Moffat Engineering, but when I was there, I was heading up the engineering R&D department. I got a lot of travel experience. So I was traveling to many export markets, very much from a technical sales support. And that experience of traveling to international markets really opened my vision as to the potential of the world market there for what any for what anyone produces. Because if you if you don't travel abroad, you don't realise the scale of the market opportunities out there. You know, and, and for when we established Combilift myself and Robert, we didn't establish it to make forklift trucks just for Ireland. We established it to be to be focused on export from day one. 
And in fact, in 1998, the year we established the company, we produced 18 combi lift forklift trucks. And of the 18 we produced, 17 were exported out of Ireland year one. And we've gone on today. Today we export actively to 85 countries around the world. So, so why were you so determined when, when you did branch out by yourself to, um, well, to target the export market so, so aggressively? I mean, what was it about your time at, at Moffat that uh, made you think, actually, I want to do this for myself? Um, you know what, for my sake, I always wanted to move into a business venture of my own. But the great thing I had, I worked in Moffat Engineering from the age 17 for nine years. And it was a privately owned company. And whatever work I put in, I was recognized. It was a private business. So, you know, the hard grind I was putting in, I was getting recognized for it. It was a, it was a family-owned business. But in September 1997, the Moffat business was sold to PowerScreen, which was a public company. And for me, that was the immediate catalyst. I had no intention to work for a public company where I would may only be counted as a number in the organization. So that was the catalyst. Now's my time to do something on my own. Robert Moffat, who was one of my the business partners that owned Moffat Engineering before, he was involved in the sale of Moffat. He always wanted to get back into business. So myself and Robert got together very quickly. So from the sale of Moffat in September 1997, we had established CombiLift in March 1998. So. Wow. So um, in many ways, while you kind of owed a lot to the Moffat family for, for your, your, your education yes, in this field, once their firm got taken over it was almost like you were uh, free to, to branch out all your loyalties were kind of we're, dispensed, we're, we're dispensed yeah and it is interesting because I know in, in Moffat Engineering I was being rewarded for the efforts I was doing but I know whenever I handed my notice into power screen to say I'm leaving you know to do something on my own they actually doubled my salary to stay but that didn't matter in the slightest I wasn't there for the money you know I wanted to do something on my own. So so for my side, there was no turning back, you know, in, in terms of I wanted to do something and that was that was the opportunity we wanted to do. So. Did any did, did anyone kind of have a word in your ear and say, here, hang on for a second, they've, they've, they've promised to double your salary and it is a big company, maybe there's prospects to grow in it. Was there any seed of doubt there at all? You, you know what, family members would be the ones who would create doubt, you know, when you would tell them that. But for me, is I was not given it any second option i mean i had decided i was leaving to do my own thing but of course there was a number of my family members i didn't tell them that circumstances i'd tell them now afterwards and they'd <laughs> laugh about it but i knew if i told them that at, the, at that time they would probably try and convince me to stay but it it you know it, and it's good to look back and, and do you think is there a little bit more uh, of a tendency to, to taking the safe job in this country versus others yeah there probably is but you know what circumstances probably force people to take them safe opportunities because you know what the cost of living can they take the risk to to leave a job to set up a business when i was involved with robert setting up comedy lift i was at the age 26 i had no mortgages i had no wife no family so it was only it was a very easy it's a lot easier making a decision when you're a single person and you'd no ties as such i do understand when people have family and that it's a lot harder to move out of that safe environment to take the gamble to get involved in a, in a setup business. So how did you get started? How did you get Combi Lift off the ground? Well, from myself and Robert got together. We we took on an experienced engineer who was working in Moffat Engineering, and from the three of us, pretty much sitting around a drawing board or if you want to say around a table, we come up with the basic layout of the product. And by the time by July, well actually by August nineteen ninety eight. 
we had already completed uh, four trucks. So we started the business in March, and by August we had actually four trucks produced. But the big plus we had was not only did we experience making forklift trucks, but we knew a lot of the suppliers of components. So we could lift the phone and we ring a hydraulic supplier like Bosch Rexroth, we need a hydraulic pump, we need an engine. So we knew the people to contact to make the product. And very much we were doing is we were designing a, a forklift truck that was different to a Moffat Mountie to do different capability. And in terms of the, the Moffat Mountie forklift, that was a product that was designed for doing deliveries. You know, you know, it would be transport in the back of a trailer. It would be used to offload trucks and trailers. With the CombiLift product, we've designed a vehicle that's multi-directional. So it's a forklift truck that can travel forward and back like a regular forklift truck. The wheels torn and can travel left and right. And why was that such a game changer? Just, just play that out for us as to why somebody would find that as a, as a really compelling selling point. Do you not find it compelling? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it because yeah. I'm not in that business. Not the business you know? yeah. But I think the, what we did is we focused on a niche like the, the reality is there's more than 200 producers of forklift trucks worldwide. And we knew that if we make regular forklift trucks, we're not going to succeed manufacturing in Ireland, competing with all the other big players. Toyota make forklift trucks. Nissan make forklift trucks. Mitsubishi forklift trucks. So we wouldn't compete with them big brands and big players. So what was unique was we focused on developing a combi lift forklift that could be used to handle long products more efficiently and safely. And that's the big benefit, because if you take, with the combi lift truck, we can lift long goods, so that can be packs of timber, steel, anything, and we can travel laterally left and right. We can also turn the wheels and travel forward and back. So that unique feature that we could move long products more safely, because it's much safer to travel with long goods sidewards than it is to try and lift it up and over aeroplane mode. and the saving space and the safety was the two big benefits we were bringing to our clients. Was anyone else doing that at the time? There was no one else making a multi-directional forklift truck, but there was other players in Europe that were making what we would call side loaders. So there was forklifts on the market that would travel left and right. Mm-hmm. And of course, there was a lot of producers making forklift trucks that went front and back. But our unique proposition was we brought a, designed a forklift truck that could go in if you want to call it in four directions. Has anyone copied you since? We've had a number of companies copy and actually didn't succeed and sort of went out of business. And we do have a couple of competitors. But thankfully, if we add up all our competition in the multi-directional business, the producers that make side loaders, our volume and output today is more than double of all our competitors put together. So, you know, in in the long load handling market, CombiLift is the dominant player uh, worldwide. So what were the major milestones for you? I mean, what, at what stages were, the, were you cracking open bottles of champagne and saying, we've really done something here? We started the business in 98. It was export focused. And creating that brand name, that to get it known worldwide, it took a lot of investment in exhibiting our forklift trucks at many trade shows worldwide trying to get reference customers in different markets. But what we found the most successful was, I know most companies, when they have a product to sell, they, they, they go to a new market, they appoint a dealer or a distributor to sell it. Our first approach is when we go to a new market is, we're not first looking for a dealer, we're looking for customers, end users. So we will actually get on the ground, find a number of reference customers that will commit to buying the product. 
and then we'll find the distributor afterwards because we don't have enough time to find all the customers ourselves but if we can get a few good reference customers on the ground the dealers will then want to sell our product and then they'll be more successful you've had a very successful story you have a very successful Mm -hmm. story to tell um but I guess there must have been some some low points along the way. No story can be without some low points. Uh, what stand out for you in your memory? Like in the history of Combilift over the last 20 years, the one day that stands out for me is when we, we were forced, if you want to call it, to make redundancies in the business. So during the downturn in, in 2008, 2009, most companies, like with that recession, it didn't just hit, hit Ireland, it hit most countries around the world. So customers that would be traditionally buying combi-lift forklift trucks, not only were they stopping to invest to buy forklift trucks, they were actually selling off some of their old forklift trucks because they didn't need them. And because our equipment was so focused on the building material industry, you know, the steel, the construction, as we all know, when that downturn construction pretty much took a drop, in our experience took a drop, and all the markets we exported in, the only one exception that stands out was Australia. That economy still kept through that downturn pretty good. But because of the downturn of 809, we had we had about 200 employees in 2008. We had a reduction in our business of 26% in early 09. And we, we actually, in March 2009, we made 43 redundancies in the one day. And I personally sat across a table in front of them, 43 people. And of course, a number of them I would have worked for or they would have worked very closely with me in the early 10 years of CombiLift. So I knew them not only just within work personally and sitting across the table making people that you know that has helped to get the business where it was. Redone was the toughest day in, in the history of, for a CombiLift business for me personally or probably in the toughest day in my lifetime, I would say. Really. 43 people. I mean, I would imagine there was a mixture of emotions on, on, on their part as well. Yeah. Uh, some understanding, I guess, of the situation, but maybe others less so. Yeah, I agree. And, and the only thing that did was a little bit positive at that time was we were not the only company that was contracting. I mean, most people in Ireland realise this downturn, everywhere suffering. So people knew something was going to need to change. But of course, the 43 people we had were done that morning, they didn't expect they were going to be made redundant. So naturally, it was a shock to most of them. And like every business, we needed to curtail our costs when business was down. So the same day we introduced a 10% wage reduction to all our other employees. So in some ways... And not that it, but it meant people that that actually that were still with CombiLift, they felt well, you know, grateful. We still have a job. CombiLift, we're trying to sort of pretty much cut our cloth to survive through the recession, because I think the worst thing for any business is to try and keep trading, while financially you're struggling to keep trading, because it's more you have to really look at the long term. Is it harder though to make those kind of decisions, when? your company such as yours that is really ingrained within one community uh, because after you had that conversation with them on, on whatever it was a yeah, Monday or a Tuesday you won't have to look them in the eye in the main street that, that weekend yeah you're absolutely right like you know I, I grew up in a local community of the people we employ today we employ you now 550 people in Monaghan and they're very much living in that local community surrounding area. So you're absolutely right. Them people that were made redundant, I met a number of them the following weeks. And you know what, it's th- how do you keep a conversation going? I would say on a positive side, are the 43 people we had redundant, majority of them have come back. We've re-employed them since the downturn. So at least they're back working for CombiLift. And there are a number of employees today, 
is is very much you could say is three times the quantity what that we had before the downturn so at least people in the local community appreciate well combi lift you know we're continuing to grow we're employing people but it, that was definitely the, the toughest day that sticks out Martin McVicker, thank you very much so far, but do stay with us because still to come on the Architects of Business, Martin will tell me more about his commitment to his home county and the challenges of cracking the biggest market in the world. You're listening to the Architects of Business on Joe in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Visit eoy.ie to find out more about the programme and this year's finalists. Get in touch. Mail us on thearchitectsofbusiness at joe.ie. So, Martin, all the, the big pop stars in the world want to crack America. How did you do it? Well, in fact, I was going to say, you know, we've, we've been successful in America. And I would say the U.S. was one of our early export markets. Not our first, but it was about our fifth, first, fifth export market we targeted. And I remember distinctively, now we started the business in 1998. In 1999, I flew out to the States and I attended an exhibition called MetalCon in Cincinnati, Ohio. That exhibition was very targeted around companies manufacturing metal roofing for buildings and cladding. And I walked that trade show, so I didn't book a booth. I walked the trade show, spotted some potential clients that could be users of CombiLift products, went on some of the stands, and, and as most of us know, everyone that's exhibiting are there to sell their products, so they're not there to buy. But lucky enough, I ended up making a good dialogue with one company called Simcoe, Southeastern Metal Manufacturing. And they were based in, and still based in Jacksonville, Florida. So the gentleman I met, I remember his name clearly, Jim Hornton, and built up a good dialogue with him, showed him on a video the benefits of our product. And within six weeks, we had our first order in the United States. So that was our first reference start. Following that, you know, any time I went to the States, I always had, I, well not I had to, I made a, a, my travel plans was always to get to Jacksonville, Florida, make sure that client's happy, and then try and find another one. So that's pretty much where we started, with one or two reference customers in different areas. And then eventually dealers started to want to sell our product. But one thing I loved about doing business in the States, of course, we all know they speak a similar language. Mm. Somewhat similar. Anyway. Somewhat similar. <laughs> and as we all know, most people like to, to deal and work with Irish people, communicate with Irish people. So, I mean, the gift of the gab of the Irish does really work in the United States. But the other thing that I found really interesting was in the US, companies are less conservative than in some other markets. Because as you can imagine, Conwell, if we made an innovative product, you know, is someone going to take the gamble to buy one of these first products in the United States? Like, I, I know some of my early trips to Canada, it was a lot tougher battle to find our first client in Canada. The Canadian market, the Canadians generally are more conservative than the US. So what we found with the US, they're very open to products that's going to make their business more competitive. But the other big benefit that I realized very early on that our product was bringing for our US clients, it allowed our customers that's handling long products to handle their long products more safely. And uh, that, that really is a real USP that worked really well in the United States. But it is, as I was saying earlier, it is the biggest single economy in the world. So actually making inroads there, uh, how significant was that for CombiLift? It, you know, it's probably like another stepping stone at that stage. But for CombiLift as a business, even though we've been growing in the United States this last 18, 19 years, the United States is a big target growth market for us. Our UK is our number one export market. The United States is our number two. 
But I'm pretty confident in the next year or two, well, even in the next year, the United States is going to be our largest export market, even on the assumption the UK market still continues to thrive post-Brexit. Well, you mentioned Brexit, and when you talk about the, the US being your, your kind of your target biggest export market, I think of uh, President Trump and the, 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 the trade tariffs which he's threatening to bring in. Does that kind of worry you at all? It, it doesn't, because the products we're manufacturing, we're, we're making very innovative products, and the one big plus I find of, of the Trump administration, they're very pro-business. So most of the Combulive clients in the United States are Trump supporters. And because he's very much pro-businesses, businesses are willing to invest. So we've seen some massive growth in the US business this year. And I know there is some negativity regarding the tariffs that have been introduced, but the reality is a lot of people in the US are looking at it as a way to grow domestic manufacturing. And for CombiLift is the more domestic manufacturing takes place in the United States, the more needs there's going to be for combi lift trucks in the United States. What if they choose an American forklift instead? Well, that's true. The only thing is, from combi lift point of view, we have a number of patents on how we've designed our product. So it's not that easy for any competitor to start to manufacture in the US or in, in, in other markets either. So you've obviously, and we were talking about it earlier, um, always demonstrated a real commitment to your to, to your home place, the factories in Monaghan. Um, you know, have you ever looked into whether it could be maybe cheaper or more strategic to build your, your forklift elsewhere? Well, I've grown up in Monaghan and Robert, my business partner, has grown up in Monaghan. And we very much, from establishing the business in our local community, we've committed three years ago that we would actually start to, to build a new manufacturing plant in Monaghan. So in April this year, we officially opened a new manufacturing plant on the Monaghan Bypass. And this manufacturing plant, we, we acquired 100 acres of land. We've built a manufacturing facility that covers 500,000 square feet, which would be the equivalent of about three and a half Crow Park football pitches under roof. It's one of the largest single manufacturing plants in Ireland under one roof. So we've committed over 50 million of an investment in this plant. So we're very committed to continue to grow on our business in Ireland. But why, why are you so committed to growing, it, to growing it in Ireland? In fact, a lot of it's built around our expertise we've built up in the community. You know, designing these products, manufacturing them, assembling them. We're not making commodity widgets. We're making custom-built forklift trucks. So if, when you visit the CombiLift plant, you won't see, there's very few forklifts are built the same. They're built around individual requirements. And we like to think we've set it, this manufacturing plant that we can mass produce customized products. And as long as we can keep that customization possibility, there's no reason why we can't sustain this in Ireland because a cheap manufacturing country like maybe China or elsewhere, they're gonna be only interested in producing high volume of the same. And that's not really our target market. We're manufacturing solution products that saves our client space. What about the other conditions for doing business uh, in this country? Things like, you know, tax, access to finance. Uh, how has that served you down through the years? Yeah, I mean, you know, I've grown up where the corporation tax, as we all know, is very attractive in Ireland. But I think in terms of availability of finance, it hasn't really been a concern for CombiLift. We have very much grown our business from retained profits in the company. So we're not actively out looking for finance. 
And the main reason for that is we, we are continually growing at a rate of about 15-20% per year. So our target growth rate is to double over the next five years. And as long as we can continue to make innovative products that we can charge a premium for it, there's no reason why we can't fund that out of out of retained earnings. And is that a decision that you kind of decided you wanted to make or policy you wanted to implement? Because a lot of the, the, the entrepreneurs who kind of come sit in that chair there tell me that, you know, when they go to banks with, with an idea, yeah, they're not, you know, they're not able to get the finance for it because they do find that Irish banks are a bit more risk averse. Yeah, and you know, that's true with most entrepreneurs. I know a lot of entrepreneurs are, are ambition, ambitious so that they, they're willing to borrow money, to buy businesses, to grow businesses. I've grown up in a culture where I personally don't go to a bank to borrow money unless I think I can afford it. So the first car I bought, I had money saved before I bought it. And that culture sort of has brought me up. The other thing that actually has encouraged me from, as a business owner through Enterprise Ireland, about three years ago, Enterprise Ireland put together a mid-tier engineering group of companies and organized a two-day event to Germany. And we visited four or five large manufacturing companies in Germany. These are companies that are close to like a billion euro turnover. And what is amazing, when you look at the, the some of the largest manufacturing companies in Germany that have been there for years, they have no bank borrowings. They're very much focused on growing their business that is a sustainable growth. Now, I know other businesses like the service industry is different. You know, it's more faster pace. But when we're making physical products, it's much more sustainable if we don't have to answer to a bank in terms of making decisions. You know, do we invest in new products? Do we invest in new salespeople, new markets? So we're very much more in control of our own destiny. So... What kind of strength, I suppose, have you found from other business people uh, in in the country? You know, people that you've met even through the EOY network. Um, you know, what uh, things have you borrowed from them, as it were, in terms of uh, uh, things that you've applied yeah. to the business? Yeah, and and I have to say, I mean, if you take in terms of CombiLift, at the age of twenty nine, I had I was lucky enough to be recognised by Ernst and Young as the Entrepreneur of the Year in, in Ireland at the age of twenty nine, but. With EOI, they organized me to go out to California. I took a trip to Brazil, you know, been to Monte Carlo. And meeting other entrepreneurs in different markets has really given me a perspective that even though we're growing our business, there's so much opportunity for growth out there. And it has actually encouraged me to be more ambitious. So that network of EOI people, not just in Ireland, but around the world, sort of opens your perspective as to how possible it is to scale a business and for me you know if you take in terms of probably another area that really helped me was I actually also through Enterprise Ireland I attended uh, Stanford University where they had organized a course in terms of leadership for growth so I did a three-week stint in Stanford University and that was very good but I have to find the network of events with EOI is great to sort of bounce ideas because we all know in business we all have challenges and sometimes the challenge I have today someone else has solved it yesterday so that great community of network is very valuable. The general kind of momentum within industry in general these days is is automation. Um, I wonder are you guys looking at kind of self-driving forklifts yet? No and it's interesting you should say that because today we have more than 40,000 combilift vehicles operating worldwide and a number of our clients are now pushing us to say, what, can you bring us a combi lift truck 
that's self-driving. Good example is Eddie Stobert distribution in the UK. They operate more than 100 of our vehicles and they, they want it to be automated. So at this stage, we're embarking on a research and development project to develop combi lift vehicles that are going to be fully automatic driving. So we're confident within the next two years, we're going to have fully automated forklifts available for our customers um, within Europe and the United States, because that's really where the drive is coming for us to, to remove the operator where it's not critical. And the great thing about the automation technology that's out there today, I know we hear a lot in the car and the automotive business, but the reality is, is that going to become mainstream? We're confident in the forklift truck industry. Automation can become mainstream because when someone buys a forklift truck, it goes into the client's warehouse and there's, there's no, it's in a very contained environment compared to someone that's driving a car on a public road. So we're pretty confident that automation is definitely going to happen uh, in the near future. And is, is there a race between you and other uh, forklift manufacturers to achieve that? Yeah, there's other forklift companies have been playing at this for a while, using technology which is sensors and mirrors. But we're trying to work, develop our own software, which is very much like GPS controlled. Because as we all know with GPS, that can control a vehicle outdoor, but GPS cannot control a vehicle indoor in a warehouse. So we're trying to imitate what GPS can do in an indoor environment. And if we can crack that, there's no reason why that can't be the next major milestone for the growth of CombiLift in, in future years. So what's next for CombiLift and for you? I mean, what is the next milestone you're looking to or the next target you want to achieve? Well, for, for CombiLift, I mean, our ambitious at the, ambition at the moment is we've built this new manufacturing plant. Our target is to double the business over the next five years. And no matter which day you meet me, so if you meet me in a year's time, my target's still going to be to double in the following five years. So it's a very simple message. Our employees know it, our suppliers know it, and our customers know it. And that eventually is going to hopefully get us to a billion dollar business in, in, in the short future. Wow, that's quite a, quite a milestone to achieve. Um, could you get there quicker, though, if you went on a different route, you know, a different type of financing, maybe uh, floating the company or attracting other types of investment? You know what? The answer is probably yes or, or could be yes. But for us is floating a business, I think, is, is very valuable if you need cash to grow it. For CombiLift, because we're manufacturing innovative products, it's very much building up that expertise is the challenge. So I think even if someone writes a blank check, it's not going to necessarily scale the business overnight. And because of the market we're in, we're manufacturing products that are solution-based. A lot of the new combi lifts we're bringing to market, it's not just us sitting in a dark room thinking what the next one will look like. They're listening to our customers, listening to our customers' challenges, and we're designing products to solve their material handling needs. And that's really going to continue to grow our business in the future. As long as we listen to our customers' There's no reason why we can't be the billion-dollar company in the near future. It's rare enough that you meet someone uh, who's a, a achieved so much with, with something that was really a childhood passion or, or a hobby. Are there days where you kind of get sick of the sight of forklifts? Absolutely not. <laughs> but what I would say is I'm not totally blinkered with forklifts. I enjoy machinery of any kind. So if there's an agricultural trade show in Germany, like Agritechnik, which is the biggest one worldwide for agricultural machinery, I love going there because I find there's so much cross technology between different products. And as we all know, there's more electronics now incorporated into cars, more electronics in forklift trucks. 
Like we're, we make diesel vehicles, make LPG and electric. And the diesel combilet vehicles now have so much electronics in it. And we can learn so much from the agricultural business. The agricultural business can learn from the forklift business. So I'm very open to any kind of machinery. But of course, combi lift is, we often say with the brand green, green's running through my blood. So. <laughs> it, it feels like you're never going to hang up your, hang up your, I don't know what you, you, you wear, <laughs> your, your white coat or your, your, your designer's cap or anything like that. I mean, are you going to be clinging on to, to, to the, the reins of this yeah. business for a long time? Well, I, I like to, I mean, I don't have a written agreement, but with myself and Robert, I I personally have made a verbal agreement to CombiLift that I want to commit 50 years of my life to the CombiLift business if my health is sustainable. So that means I can't, I won't be retiring for another 30 years. That's an interesting round figure. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Godspeed to you. Uh, Martin McVicker, thank you very much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much, Tag. Thanks for joining us today on The Architects of Business. Thanks to our guest, Martin McVicker, our producer, Patrick Hohey, and all of the team here at Joe. Our programme is made in partnership with EY Entrepreneur of the Year. Go to eoy.ie to learn more about the finalists for this year. And don't miss out on past or indeed future shows by subscribing for free on iTunes, on your favourite Android podcast app, or you can watch the show on YouTube. Check out some of Joe's other podcasts too, including our brand new show, The House of Rugby. I'm Ty Genreich. Thank you so much for being with us this week, and I hope to see you again soon. Bye bye. The Architects of Business on Joe, in partnership with the EY Entrepreneur of the Year programme, telling the story of Ireland's leading entrepreneurs across the island of Ireland. 